We out at the moon. <laughs> <laughs> the moon and shit. <laughs> if Meek Mill goes to the moon before me, I don't even want to go to the moon. <laughs> Meek Mill goes before me, it's off my list. <laughs> I promise you. Yo, another episode of Black in a Box live. Guest today is Scully. Hi. I feel like I could speak until you introduce me there. You are all good, sir. And I was just like, mm. let me keep quiet till he actually says I'm here. Is it? Well, Technically, I'm not. Well, you're not, but you are. Well, I'm here now. Is it now? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. We'll run through the rest. Some jello, you good? Thank you. Right, good to see you. Dom. I'm blessed. Alana. As well blessed. I am always blessed. <laughs> and we are blessed, especially this episode. We're going to have a little music chat with Scully. It's your world, bro. We're all just living in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it feels sometimes. Popping ah, up on all the channels. You're giving me too much credit there. I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to survive the cost of living crisis, man. In that club, deep in that club. How was Lake Como? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually due to go there in next the summer. In the I'm due to go there next summer, though. So no. I'm, I'm touch road there quickly yeah. because yeah. it's nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. I want to see Fabregas mm. playing his Syria B. There we P. go. Yeah, there you go. Shout our boy Clooney. Yeah, <laughs> our neighbour for the week. Oh yeah, yeah. What, yeah is he an investor in that team as well, isn't he? Really? Coma, I think I've, there's a few celebrity investors, so he might be. Oh, yeah. I'll have a double check there. Yeah. He, he wasn't actually on road, was he, when he we were there? Mm -hmm. We tried him. Yeah. George Clooney is one of the first men, this is way too much information to give in the first three minutes of podcast, but George <laughs> Clooney is one of the first men that I ever looked at and I was like, yo, this guy's kind of handsome, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he used to annoy me, bears as a child. I was like, why do I think, like, because I've never looked at someone and thought they're handsome, but this guy's kind of <laughs> handsome mutes, though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that. So. Yeah, but I was like nine. I was like, "Am I allowed to think another man is handsome?" Like, I that's, that's a it's a, it's an interesting one when you're a kid, isn't it? I'm trying to think who mine was. Because who do you go say? Oh, I'm gonna go tell my dad. Like, yo, dad, am I allowed to think <laughs> a man is handsome? Like, I was just like, yo, this is crazy. This is. <laughs> I'm never watching a Clooney film again. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> well, you, well, yeah, it's an interesting point because when you look at the people like that were thrown out as being. Hollywood style pinups. Clooney, Clooney looked like a man, whereas the rest of them, it's like all oh, that pretty boy, DiCaprio, mm -hmm. like Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. Clooney looked like a man still. So shout out, Clooney, neighbor. Scully's going to book you in a next <laughs> summer. So. Apparently, you can actually rent his house out. I was speaking to my gaffer the other day and he was like, I think it's 150 a night. Yeah. I am not Dollars. telling my mum that. <laughs> <laughs> She'll make the money appear somehow. Scully, you're here. We're going to talk your come up. Everyone kind of knows you from this music thing. And then of late, the football side of it has come through. And you start to do bits, you know, bits, bits of things that are unexpected here, there and everywhere. Talk us through like your your, your rise. Um, 
my rise. Well, I get up six thirty most days. <laughs> <laughs> Banana satsuma. Yeah, and then I think about what I want to do. There's actually not much to it. Like come up, I feel like is overarching and kind of. It's like there is a destination I'm going to, and I guess there is, but there also isn't. Like from very young, I just decided I want to do stuff that I find interesting all the time. Mm. Like I looked at the, and I've got like really interesting parents. Big up my mum and dad. Like my dad is an engineer, and my mum is a psychologist. Those are both things they learned. And like, but that's not the jobs they did. When I came up, they were like essentially doing odd jobs. Like my dad worked for Royal Mail. My mum was like a cleaner, then a nurse. Like, so I've watched them class transition. Yeah. While starting off quite broke, and that's funny. I've got really young little brothers, and they're like, their life is very different from my life mm. growing up. Like, <laughs> they get most of the things that they want <laughs> when they want. They get like nice holidays and all of this, and I'm like. It's weird because I looked at the idea of work when I was a kid and I, I was like, hmm, this work thing's interesting and I've got aunts and uncles and they all do these jobs here and some of them love them, some of them don't love them. But like at the end of the day, I just want to like do things I like so I can look back when I die and be like, yeah, I lived. Because like, obviously it's cliche, everyone's like, oh yeah, duh, like you need to live and not everybody lives but everybody died. Yeah. All of those cliche phrases, but like, the thing that would irk me the most on my deathbed is feeling like I just spent my entire time on the planet existing. Uh, like I was just here. Like, I really felt that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, but it's like, because it's like, why are we here? Like, I don't think people, and maybe it's because, this is going to become an open therapy session, isn't it? <laughs> this is what it gets me. Yeah. When you're yeah. a psychologist, this is how it goes, it's isn't real. it? But, like, I've been very aware of my mortality from, like, super young. Like, mm. super, super young. Like, like deaths in the family, deaths in, like, like I remember the primary school teacher who passed away and stuff like this. And I was like, yo, people just are not here one day. Like, you're just not here. Mm. And, like, it's not that that scared me, but it's, like, made me think, yo, like, life is mad short. Like, mm. really, really short. And, like I said, imagine getting to the end of it and all you've got to show for it is, like, yeah, I worked quite hard. Maybe I got a couple of promotions. Um, yeah, cool that's about it like, <laughs> I work kind of hard. Yeah. people like me i got a few rounds in at the pub like but like what else like what did you do like what did yeah. you do that you wanted to do and it's not so much about being selfish and it's not also about completely being selfless but it's about like melding both and just living to the best of your abilities within this kind of society you know I just got to say, it's so wild that you're saying this because I totally resonate. And maybe after this, we'll have a chat about what your astrology is because I'm sensing, <laughs> I'm sensing a vibe. Um, my big three is basically, I shouldn't say it out loud, says my friend. I have a friend called Toby who you should talk to, actually. She'd be great for this podcast. She's a, She used to be a theatre producer, but now she's just a producer. She makes TV and directs as well. And um, I told her my big three once, and she said, "Oh my God, never repeat that out loud to anyone." Wait, I need to. Well, what's your? Well, what's you can your, say it, and then we'll, I'm son? Gemini. First. Oh, Gemini. So yeah. you're my opposite. That's why we yeah, get along yeah. well. <laughs> I can I'm, tell I'm, we're I'm gonna Gemini. get along. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> totally. I'm a Sagittarius. Oh, okay. very Sagittarius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you? I'm Scorpio. Okay. Is that along with them. What do you? What are you? Scorpio. Oh. This is why we clash. I'm a, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Taurus. It could only be one in the room. And that's what we clash. <laughs> oh, yeah. these, are all, these are all signs I get along with. I, yeah. through dating women, know enough about star signs to know which signs I get along with. <laughs> and I get along with Scorpios particularly well. 
get along with um tourists quite well. My mom's a tourist, but you lot are mad stubborn. So actually, <laughs> we get along to a point, and then when we disagree, <laughs> we still not get along. Have you been looking at our group chat? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Sagittarius is you lot. Uh, you oh. don't speak about your emotions until you're pushed to it. Uh, that's what I feel like. That's what I feel like. Actually, I'm, no, that's Capricorns. No, my mistake. That's Capricorns. Yeah, yeah that's more Capricorns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've but lost just that. we've lost that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're going way, way <laughs> off topic. But what I was going to say is that I just really resonate with what you're saying about like I've always been someone too who tries to keep death really close. Um, just that's just how I was really naturally. But I think not in a sort of morbid way, but just in a like yeah life is so precious and probably on a daily basis i always think i don't want to get to the end of my life and have not done something because i was afraid or this that and the other and i think it just comes back to being like i want to live the most authentic life that i can the most joyful life and mm -hmm. just live the biggest version of alana or for you maybe the biggest best version of scully mm -hmm. and i feel like that energy like when you approach things with that energy it's palpable and other people are really attracted to that, which I'm sure we'll get into later you, as we talk about Do you about think that that is because of your Latin American roots? Because they've got a way better relationship with death than I think we do over here. I think it's been enhanced by that. Mm. So so I'm It's called Le Noches de Muertes. Mm. Yes, yes. I'm obsessed with that festival, wherever you want to go. Oh day. yeah, we definitely need to talk about this then at some point. But mm. I, yeah, so because I'm um, part Mexican, that definitely enhances it. And yeah, I, I think the view of how you live your life and then how you also regard death has impacted um yeah my ability to live live really bigly and like to face things that i think are very that i might be afraid to do mm -hmm. but i still take the leap anyway because yeah. i feel like i can't not do this mm. just because i'm afraid or or whatever but i don't know maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves <laughs> here but i just think so. that that key thing that you just said is probably so key to how you've progressed in life yeah. when you live or when you die rather all that's left is the talk of how you lived mm -hmm. so the bigger you live the longer you live in essence mm -hmm. like because mm -hmm. if you if you like look at flipping um uh leonardo da vinci we still talk about him now mm -hmm. like guy just made some inventions lived how he wanted everyone was like you're crazy stop doing that mm. and we're still talking about him black like, we're talking about there's certain human beings that do what they do so authentically and so well like even though it's contentious if he actually existed but a william shakespeare like yeah. we're still talking about them quoting them years late later so it's like <laughs> you don't think he existed i've I've studied William Shakespeare far too much. I don't want to get back into it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try and work it out. I'm like, mm, was he real? Was he not real? I don't know. I mean, he, he, he was factually, factually, he definitely existed. Whether he is the author of all of his works is a different question. Oh, mm. one yeah, but it's like Jake, man. Like, who really cares as long as the performance is good? Well. <laughs> <laughs> you had me all the way. <laughs> <laughs> that is more contentious. <laughs> um, no, I think it speaks really well to the kind of structure you've had growing up because there is such a fear about stepping off the the path isn't there um i uh, left teaching in 2018 very steady very solid career and when people ask me what i'm doing now i say bits and bobs because that mm -hmm. is that is what i'm doing but the bits and bobs i'm doing i like so i do a bit of acting because i like it mm -hmm. i do a bit of writing because i like it mm -hmm. i do a bit of theaterism 
theatre criticism mm -hmm. because I like it. I'm doing some copywriting because I like it. But it took a long time for some of the people around me to kind of be, well, what about, but don't you like having a steady wage coming through at the end of every month? And the way I had to explain it to people is, okay, let's say that in my last year of teaching, I was bringing in three grand a month. I can honestly tell you that a, a third, half of that was going on different kinds of medications to get me through the week. Mm. And I'm not talking like drugs, I'm talking about I was at the pub. And, and when I talk to people about kind of drinking, you know, 15, 20 pints a, a day, every day during the week, just to get through it, I go, so am I making more money? Because that, that's what I needed just to get through mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. school day. Um, and I see so many people that are trapped in jobs and they, and they, and they say, they'll say, well, you know, I, I couldn't do what you do because I've got, I've got a mortgage or, uh, you know, I've got, I've got this to pay or that to pay. And it's like, so what? Figure it out, fuck it out. Those are my two life mantras. Like, <laughs> you just figure it out and you fuck it out. Like, sometimes the best thing to do is not give yourself an option mm. because then you're, you're forced to, you're forced to make it work. Like I always find people with safety nets will always allow themselves to be confined by the net. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like what's there to make them feel safe eventually ends up trapping them. Whereas like, if you just like jump out, like you jump out into the sea, yeah, you're gonna be, you're gonna be fine eventually. You're gonna flare up first. You might drown actually, but at least you was in the sea for a bit. Look pretty, mm. you might see the sunset. It's all right, like just, just go. You're either gonna figure it out or you won't. And yeah. people just need to have less of a fa fear of failure. Like it's okay to do things and they don't work and then you do something else. Mm -hmm. Like so many of the best inventions in the world <laughs> have been things that were supposed to be one thing, then it failed and then we have this. Like penicillin was yeah. not supposed to be here. Yeah. yeah. Deal, <laughs> deal headaches. <laughs> they're trying to do something completely different and then they're like, wait, hold on, actually this works. Painkiller, <laughs> we'll just run with it. Like, yeah. like think of your life like that. Like just try things. Maybe you want to be the world's best I don't know, um, biomedical scientist. No, not even that. Like, what's the word for people who look under the sea and find out? Like an ocean marine biologist. Marine, marine biologist. That's the term I was looking for. Yeah, and maybe you're a terrible marine biologist, but you find out actually you're quite good at diving, <laughs> and you manage to explain to people now you're a scuba diving instructor. Mm. Pretty, it's pretty interesting job. Probably better than whatever you would have done had you not tried that. Like. Just fail sometimes. Yeah. Mm. I said the cub, that, but you know, what's it's a, is it a saying? The cub that uh, never knows hunger becomes the lion that never knows how to hunt. Like yeah. you need, you need to ha have learned that resiliency from young to be able to then step out later. So it's true. It's true. But uh, sorry, but just quickly at the same time, you had mentioned having a rough vision, and I think sometimes that also can be the thing that. Uh, is helpful if you are going to take that leap of faith is I might not know what lies between point A and point B but I have a rough idea that point B mm. is kind of what's guiding me mm -hmm. I don't know what was kind of the the vision that you talked about before happened? um okay cool so my rough vision is to bullet points in a journal somewhere <laughs> I want to direct a film nice I want to write a manga and make it an anime Mm, I want perfect. you acting a really big film, like a classic film, like a James Dean type performance. Like I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, 
I work, can I swear? Can I swear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Public radio. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? Yeah, because I'm so used to radio. I'm like, sometimes when I swear in front of a mic, I'm like, oh, <laughs> am I allowed to say this? Um, yeah, I want to act in something. I want to write an amazing book, two amazing books. Like one that's for like kids, like young children. Mm. Then one piece of young adult fiction. I want to work in music and make a classic album. Like it, it's not me performing, but I have to like, like get my Quincy Jones on exec produce. Mm. Like I'm an A&R by day. Like that is my main job. So like to me, there's no point of being an A&R unless you make a classic song or a classic album. Like if you don't do either of those things, why are you really doing your job? <laughs> like you're just mm. churning out music for whatever ends. Like that's useless. So I need to make a classic album. And those are genuinely it. I guess when I was younger, the wider goal was I want to work in music, I want to work in film, I want to write. Like, yeah. And then as I've got more and further down those paths, I've been able to set certain things and be like, I want to do this. Like I can say, like people are like, oh, you do stuff with Arsenal, that's really cool, and, da -da -da. and like, they're like, why, why, what's your goal? I'm like, I want to play in a testimonial match at Emirates. And they're like, Okay, but like, why do you like do the football stuff? I'm like, no, 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 that's it. That's <laughs> that's the end goal. Like, I do all the other stuff so that one day I can put on the Arsenal kit <laughs> and run onto the Emirates and play a game. Like, that's yeah, it. Like, I don't care knocks. about other stuff. Like, opportunity knocks. You need to sometimes you just need to force the door open and you don't know when it's going to be. Like, mm -hmm. I'm currently in my other job working with the RFL, and everyone's like, someone's asking me, like, just completely different conversation like you finished with rugby I was like yeah unless I get asked to play in a Legends game <laughs> on a pitch with Jason Robinson and with a few of those man yeah. and it's like you like you never know where life's going to take you but it's not going to take you there unless you you're just sort of prepping it and yeah priming it 100% like there's uh, like one of my other goals my last goal is I want to go to the moon so mm. now I know eventually at one point I will need to interfere with NASA <laughs> and I go and be like, okay, cool. Like, uh, I want to. How many retweets? <laughs> How many retweets are going to You know what it is? You know what it is? And this is really bad. We stumbled upon a, like one of my pet hates, yeah, but like, I hate. That's my pet hate. Yeah. I hate that. I hate it. Don't ask for retweets to get something done. Just go and get it done. Like, what do you mean? Like, that and when people like like when people like some they're getting bullied or racially abused or da -da -da, and then they video it and then they put it on twitter and they say twitter do your thing what do you want me to do <laughs> you go and beat them up you're with them like what do you want me to do like i can't retroactively do anything now you show me this video i hate it like i actually hate it. it's one of my absolute biggest like mm. just pet peeves because i'm just like, what? Bro, you, like hold on to that hold on to that <laughs> <laughs> you, will, you, will need, you will need that at the end of the show but i will say it's like for that whole you want to go to the moon bro it's possible now like mm -hmm. my old job my whole thing was they're like okay what we can what can we do to disrupt social and there'll be different brands doing different things and you know i'm like who's famous to what what are they tweeting and i'll just dig it out and say so and so wants to do this do you remember when like obviously Kyrie's flat earther and I remember <laughs> yeah. everyone ignores him but Steph Curry went on some podcasting I think it was might have been uh old man and the old man in the tree and he was like I don't think they went to the moon and everyone's like I don't uh, think they went to the moon by the way yeah well the first time the first time was yeah he was like they didn't go to the moon and then what did NASA say the next and they invite him like to come and see all the stuff if he wanted to go to the moon they would probably take him to the moon now so to help prove saying. this point because yeah. as soon as it gets as soon as it's like cheap and there's not all these walls and stuff going on they will just be sending people to the moon if they can fly into asteroids now 
they yeah, can send commercial flights exactly. to the moon. So yeah. they just so don't you know don't write that off. Oh, I know that people are going to be going into the moon or to the moon regularly in my lifetime. I want to do it while like I, on my hipsters before it's while, hot. While it's hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to do it while it's still highly sought after. Like, who cares if I go at seventy when everyone's been to the moon? Oh the I need to like do it when I'm like forty. <laughs> Yeah, like I need to do it like when I'm like 40, when it's still like, oh shit, you've been to the moon, wow. Like, like, <laughs> like Croatia 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Ago. <laughs> Can't even go Santorini anymore. It's yeah, done, like, it's done. Rick Ross raps yeah. about it, drop it. Like, it's gone. Like, <laughs> like, I need to be at the moon in the next 10 years because I know it's becoming more commercial. Yeah. yeah. So I need to what? Be Hold on, what? No, because Like Shatton seven people have been to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> William Shatner came back and he said, yo, it's done out. It's not even cool. Like, he, said, he, said, he, said, he said, oh, it's boring. Like, I just like, I didn't like it like that. That is already... I went for that Rose album. We had the moon. <laughs> we had the moon and shit. If, Rick, if Meek Mill goes to the moon before me, I don't even want to go to the moon. <laughs> Meek Mill goes before me, it's off my list. <laughs> I promise you. Oh, my so, <laughs> what they will say though, they'll say Scully's journey to the moon. Does it start with radio? Yeah, I guess it's well, no, it doesn't start with radio. It's a long story, which I'll try and make very short. I'm 29 years old, and the journey starts at probably about 15, 16, and I'm going to try and condense that 14 years really swiftly right now. So, when I was 15, my dad is super into politics, so I was telling my parents, um, I'm ashamed to say that I was a Blairite until the whole messy Iraq stuff, but like I was very into reading as a child. Like uh, my parents, like we moved around a lot and there was stuff going on. Like my inner family life, and like I said, like growing up, we were very working class, like super working class. Like oh, sometimes uh, we eat a bit for dinner. Sometimes who were made to look stupid. <laughs> I was six. Like at least I had political like <laughs> leaders. What do you mean? I don't mind. You, you, you change your mind when you're presented with new information, isn't it? Exactly. exactly. So um yeah, I read a lot as a child, and uh, my dad used to Labour Manifesto. Nah, not well, close, yeah. not quite. <laughs> so I used to read a lot, and then I'd run out all the books like in the school library and then local libraries. And then my dad eventually started giving me his books, which was like Stephen King. And then he had like um, oh, what's that jackal book about uh Osama bin Laden's life? Something oh, about like, the coat of yeah. jackal, something like that. Mm. Mm. I remember reading that, and then a book by Tony Blair and stuff like that. And suddenly I was like, oh, I'm into politics now. <laughs> that was just the thing like my parents bought the guardian a lot growing up so like i used to just read that and i was like okay this is my thing now and then my biggest aim as a child was to be the editor of the guardian like, that's what i wanted to do when i was like 10 ish 11 12 um so i started taking an interest in politics and then people were like blogging these times i grew up like in the blog era so i was like yo like maybe i'll just talk about politics and then I would send these like essays into newspapers and they'd be like, how old are you? Where are you from? And I was like, yeah, I'm 13 from South London. And I'd be like, yeah, nah. <laughs> and it would go nowhere. And I was like, right, like, okay, if you don't want to hear what I have to say, cool. So then I was like, what can I write about that nobody's going to ask my age and where I'm from? <coughs> I started writing about music. Like, because nobody, when you send a music article into a music publication, they do not 
email you back and say, how old are you, where are you from? Yeah. They just say, yo, this is good. Or they say, yo, this is bad. When you write about other subjects, quantum physics, politics, <laughs> all of this shit, they're like, yo, how old are you? What are you studying? Like, like, so I was like, okay, the barrier for entry here is the lowest possible point that I can get in. So let's start with the music thing. And I've always been mad into music. Like, one of the things that me and my dad super agreed on is music and how important it was. He made me play instruments, all of this. Like, I was classically chained and I, like, I, I moved on to do other things. So, like, that was, like, probably the first, quote, unquote, middle class thing I did in life. Like, my dad was like, no matter where we are, no matter where we live, you're going to learn an instrument because it will help you focus. Like, mm. that you're not, like, always causing trouble. I was a bit of a... a, bit of a I wasn't a naughty kid. I was just a very curious kid. Like yeah. I, I always had questions. I was smart ass actually. Rascal's too light. <laughs> smart ass is probably the best. Like I used to. I used to. This is something I used to do in primary school, which will give you an example of the type of kid I was. I would steal a lot of books from the library first of all, and then they would come calling for my parents and be like, "Yo." these editions of this <laughs> I've been missing for like, <laughs> like a couple of days and my mom would be like yeah Jason has them <laughs> and I would correct my teachers a lot like mm. a oh lot, yeah like, a lot, to the point that I would get too. like suspended like, <laughs> mm. be done. like, like I had one teacher who had dyslexia I didn't know she had dyslexia and I was like hey and she would like be spelling things and I'd be like that's wrong it's like <laughs> And she was like, what? And I was like, Miss, you're spelling it wrong. Like, spelled like this. And she was like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> she, she, like, she felt like I was, un- no, because she felt like I was undermining her in front of the class, which in hindsight, I probably was. But also, I'm like weirdly obsessed with the objective truth of things. Mm. Like, I'm really obsessed with it. Like, Gemini, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, in arguments, my friends hate it because like, I will not let go. I'm like a pit bull. I won't let go until we reach the objective truth. Like, I don't care what my biases or your biases what's the objective truth <laughs> so my teacher would be spelling or saying certain things i'll be like this is wrong like, like <laughs> this is what it is type thing and then they'd be like calling my parents saying like yo like he undermines us in front of the class like and also i was a bit of a joker so they're like and he's a class town it's not enough for him to be right he also just wants to take the piss <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah i was um writing about music with all of this pent-up reading and writing like not frustration but like just stuff i picked up Mm. like again for being naughty in school my dad and my mum would make me read books on grammar like they'd be like you're gonna have to write out these lines and you're gonna have to read this book on grammar and learn that way type thing so i just had like a stupidly advanced reading age as a child (laughs) so i was like yo i'm gonna write like why not like i can do it type thing so i started writing about music started a blog for my friend the blog actually like quite well he ended up getting a job like at one extra I ended up getting a job at Vice. By now, I'm like 18. Like, fast forward to like, I'm 18. We're like doing these things. We're like, rah, like, we're kind of inside. Like, mm-hmm. all right, cool. And then you kind of think, because of the type of child I was and the type of way I thought, I was like, I'm 18. I'm at Vice. Pizza one extra. This is it. We've done it. It's game over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, can ch- you can't tell a shit. Like, <laughs> guy, like, everyone wants to work for Vice. I'm 18. I'm working on Vice. I ain't fucking got into uni yet. Like, what are you, what are you telling me? Like, I'm the best ever. <laughs> like, you're, you're foolhardy in that way. And then, because we fast forward to 18, by this time I'm smoking weed and like, I'm turning up to the office. So I'm, I've applied to you. I'm in uni. I'm also still very working class. <laughs> so I've got to pay my own rent. So I'm going to Pret at 5 a.m. Doing breakfast shift till ten, leaving, going to um Vice, which is around the corner, like ten to about two, three. Then I'm leaving. Then I'm going to uni till like eight, nine, <laughs> like catching up what I missed. Doing doing all of this, and I'm just like, no, it's calm. That's just is what it is. That's just is what it is. But I would turn up to uni and to Vice like high as hell, and like 
they knew I had potential. They were like, yeah, you can definitely do this. Like, obviously, that's why they brought me in at a young age. But, like, I didn't realise the gap between where I was, I guess, quote-unquote, intellectually, like, the stuff I knew and the stuff that I could articulate, and where I was as a man, like, and as an adult mm. man. Mm. So, like, being responsible, showing up, putting in effort, all of this stuff. Like, I just thought... I can do it, therefore I'm doing it. Yeah. Like, whereas there was actually a gulf between my ability and what I was getting done. So, like, also at the time, like, I didn't really want to work for Vice. Luckily, I got my dream job really young, which also explains why I don't have any ties or allegiance to working. Yeah. Because when you get your dream job young, you realise, yo, there's no such thing as a dream job. This is still a job, mm -hmm. like. Yeah. yeah. So, next year, I've dropped out of uni. I'm talking to Vice, so I did journalism at uni, and like I did my NCTJ. I like I was wondering about this. So I, me and you had weirdly similar. I was like I used to, I was I was on all the different blogging platforms. I was on Blogger. I was on the MSN Spaces. I used to do like <laughs> roundups of the nights out when we're yeah, college. Yeah, yeah. So I'd write everything that happened on that app, but I'd change names and just change little details. So if you were there, you knew Sick. what I was talking about, and everyone was loving it. And then I did a. Uh, I used to like just I'd write to the newspapers like try and get them to give me a go, and eventually the time to like just come and do an internship. And I, and I was a bit I was a bit older than you, so I was like twenty. I think I was twenty plus one. It was like three days after my birthday, and I got my first byline. It's the same thing. I was like, no one can even chat to me now, but I was not <laughs> trained in it. You know, when you just yeah, you're just yeah. writing about it, and then it's it's really weird just being able to to do something mm. that other people like striving to do. And like you might have known you're a good writer, but when that's validated by other people, you're like, mm. Mm -hmm. it's long for you. And this is why you always have to have goals because if you think about, I'm I, I'm a storyteller, but if you think about stories and stories that we get told from kids, you don't even get to see the happily ever after. You get you get and they lived happily ever after. You don't see five minutes after Ariel gets married in The Little Mermaid. And it definitely wasn't happily ever after. And and that's yeah. it. Because <laughs> like, you don't see when it's like this meant to be my perfect day, and you've got mustard on your shirt the reality of it can never match up to the dream and so mm -hmm. it's, it was so funny I wrote, a, I wrote a whole bunch of dreams in 2018 I've achieved every single one of them but I, I'm sitting here thinking like but I'm not satisfied I'm you know I need I need more and so I think that that everything that you two have just said I think that that's a universal condition like because what, what it is is that you're not looking at the other people you're like if I do this then I validated myself and then you go but I'm 19 now mm -hmm. I might have another 60, 70 years. I can't, I can't be in 40 years being like, yeah, well, you know, I was working at Vice when I was 18, or yeah, I got a Times byline when I was mm -hmm. 21, or mm -hmm. yeah, I was working for Deloitte in my early 20s. You, know you know what I mean? It's like, because, do you know how many people would be like, Deloitte is the dream job? How many people would be like, if I could get a byline in the Times, how many people would be like, mm. oh, you work for Vice? How many people, oh, you work for Netflix? It's like, mm. but that's the thing, isn't it? Because w where we all come from socioeconomically, so many of our parents and grandparents' lives, it was you get that job and you stay in that job. So mm -hmm. it was difficult to actually think of an alternative for yourself until you were starting to be in that alternative because that was exactly what it was for me. Mm. I remember when Deloitte called me and offered me the job and I saw my starting salary, I was like, I thought I'd be earning this when I was like 50. Mm. Like this was, <laughs> this was it for me. Mm. So it's like when you have le lived so much of your life with a singular vision because you think that's all you can really amount to, well, but that is still success as far as you're seeing it. Mm. Once you, once you get that at such a young age, it's like, well, what do I do now? 
And I'm struggling with that like to this day because it's like I've exceeded so much of what I thought would get to at 31. Mm. So it's now like, right, now we kind of got to go back to the drawing board and mm. figure out what else there is out there that we can do because like you've done, like several, what we've all done in this room, shit is achievable. Mm. Very, very easily achievable if you equip yourself in the right way. And then it's like finding that follow-up point I think is a difficult part. But then it's also looking behind the curtain, isn't it? Like I remember the, the most money I earn, I've earned in my life on for a job that lasted longer than a few hours. Um, that sounded really weird. I, <laughs> ne 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 <laughs> Netflix paid very, very well and I only did a few hours of work really when you think about it. That's what I meant. Um, but I worked in oil and gas. Um, and it was that thing of like, gosh, I'm 20, 22. Um, People be like, oh, do you want to fly out to Oslo and deliver a tour? But actually, we're just—it's just—it's just a piss up. It's like, um, no, I've got to be back for other stuff. But but you know, it was this crazy lifestyle, and I'm and the, and I'll never forget. There was a point where I was doing—I was running these uh, numbers um, in an Excel spreadsheet. And I'm like, the num the numbers are off. My numbers are never off. And it was like you you didn't talk to somebody senior because you knew how much they charge per hour. So it like had to be a big problem for you to go to someone. It's like sort your own problems out. And I was like. There's, it was a hundred thousand, hundred thousand US dollars. I was like, I cannot find this hundred thousand US dollars in, in the spreadsheet. He's like, no, don't worry about it. And he said it real quick and but like, just leave it, it's fine. And then later that night we were out and we're having a few drinks and he gets unguarded. And I'm like, what, what, what's that hundred thousand dollars about? He goes, and he just went, it's easier to deal with um, uh, pirates than governments. And I was like, I'm on the wrong side here. <laughs> I'm on the wrong side here. And, and what it was is that basically, uh, if you work in oil and gas, especially off sea, off sea oil, I think people think that when somebody gets kidnapped by a pirate, it's like Captain Phillips and there's gonna mm -hmm. be, it's, no, 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 no. What happens is um, your contractor gets kidnapped. They will email you, the rent, this is, this is the amount. You wire it to them. That guy's probably eating steak and, and, and lobster. Like he's he's living well because it's it's just part of the business, and he then gets released. That that's that's but it's factored into the costs. Hmm. But you go well, hundred thousand sounds like a lot. Not 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 really because if if there's a government that's going to charge you um, appropriate business taxes on your explorations, that hundred thousand is a drop in the ocean. Hmm. Like we would put together like six billion pound exploration deals. So you can see, and you go, but but remember, I'm working in oil and gas. <laughs> people, people are saying that I've got I've I've got access to the company credit card. Um, oh, that shit can bite you real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but this is it. But then you go, but hold on a second. There's people at the other end of that. There's people at the other end of that, and that's why, that's why I like what I'm doing. And I know Dom, you've gone um, freelance or contracting. I always mix the two terms up. Because it is that thing of I just I just need the freedom because there's more of a world to explore. So yeah, man, I I respect I respect what you're saying about um, you're not impressed by yourself. That's always, it. Always always uh, miscellaneous money is a, a life lesson. That's a gem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As somebody who works in um production and well, always factoring miscellaneous money because there's always going to need to be money. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's for pirates sometimes it's for extra extra meals at the end of set. Who knows? But you always need miscellaneous money. Mm. But yeah, um, I was, yeah, Vice, got there. I left, I remember leaving uni because I was basically at Vice, I was like, yo, I need to be a presenter. Like, I want to be a presenter because I've always wanted to make documentaries. I'm like, I want to be a documentarian. And um, 
I know about music. I know about the music scene. I know about subcultures. I love subcultures and music and all of this. So just get me doing the documentaries that you have that nerdy white guy doing. Like, I can do them and it won't be weird or corny or voyeuristic. Was this pre-noisy? It was, noisy was around, like, noisy was around at this time. And they were like, yeah, yeah, sounds like a good idea, but you're not ready, like, you have to be ready, like, to do the stuff, like, you need to cut your teeth and do certain things, and rah, 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 rah. and I was like, okay, whatever, and then someone <coughs> in the office was just like, oh, you've got an interesting voice, and you're passionate about what you speak about, have you ever thought about doing radio, and I was like, why not, like, like go to this radio station called Represent Radio, it's in South London, so it's not too far from you, and just see if they've got any shows. I walked in that weekend and um, somebody was doing their first show and they were really nervous, like really anxious. I don't really get anxious ever unless it's about girls meeting my parents or friends or <laughs> if it's about doing something. Because I'm used to being good at stuff. If I have to do something I'm not good at in public, like I DJed out for the first time in ages two weeks ago and I used to be able to DJ but because I haven't done it in ages I was really nervous my friend was like yo I've never seen you this nervous before and I was like because I'm good at shit bro <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if I do this I'm not good at it it, it ruins everything like, that's how my mind works but yeah um, it's the crack yeah so I've, I've gone to radio and um, this person is anxious over their show I've, I've, they've sent me in there and they're like oh just go and co-host with her and like help her go smoothly and then we'll come back and talk to you about doing chain and getting involved and then I came out after that two hour show and they're like wow you're a natural like and shout out to that girl I don't remember her name I've never seen her again I don't know what she's doing now she didn't stay I ended up staying I ended up getting chained ended up being a represent and um, doing lots of things with them brand partnerships A&R in like sync deals so movie for movie uh, music for movie sorry and then from there I got a job at One Extra no actually from there I got a job with Viacom producing UMTV Raps for the UK when that came back. Had you, had you left Vice by this point? Yeah, I left Vice like a year after. So by the time I got to represent, I was like, oh, they don't want me to do documentaries. I'm not trying to write about like 80s techno music. I'm tired week, of being somehow. paid in coke. <laughs> 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 Shout out everyone at Vice. It's, it's I, true. I, I can just say, it. I, can just, I was going to say, yeah, it's true. stuff came out in the expose, yeah, and I was like, damn, I never got paid in drugs. Yeah. But I wish I got paid in drugs. Because I could flip drugs. Like, <laughs> I was getting paid for fucking travel and food. I was getting, someone gave me some drugs. I could flip that. I know how to do that. That's simple. Like, I wish somebody would give me a half ounce of coke because oh. we can work with that. Like, yeah. no, what can you do with, he doesn't, with a meal deal? I can't. Yeah, I don't. He I don't. Not. That's he theoretical, hypothetical. Yeah. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I ended up working at Viacom, and it's all story of patience as well, because the people I ended up working with at Viacom are people I met when I was 19, 20, around the time I was in Vice, and um, I went to South by Southwest, because I also used to work for a music startup, and I went to South by Southwest, and I met people who worked in production for this show I loved on Channel 4 called Four to the Floor, mm. and I was like, I want to come work with you, I should present it, da -da -da -da. they were like, yeah, but you're not ready yet, and I, was, I thought they were blowing me off, and then I'm like 24, I've been at Represent for a bit, I'm like, what's the next step, I need to take the next step, I'm doing represent, but it's like voluntary, like community radio freelancing. So I'm like part time in Labrooks trying to like make up the money. I'm like, I'm 24 now. I'm too old to like piss about. I need a real job in music, but nobody's giving me one. Everyone wants to give internships. A rapper walked into my Labrooks. I'm not even going to say what rapper. Actually. actually, no, I will. Yeah, big up, big up Seeks from Section Boy. He walks, mm. he walked into my Labrooks. Yeah. And he's like, oh, like. Scully, and I was just like, Yeah, he's like, We didn't here. I was like, I work, you know, I got a job. He's like, 
All he said was like, but you're Scully. And then just walked out. <laughs> and I was just like... <laughs> and I was pondering it. And I was just sat there for like... I remember that like, for like two, three hours. And I hated that job. The job was making me literally depressed. You know how people are like, oh, I'm depressed? I was like... I didn't realise till two years after the job. I was like, nah, bro, you were depressed, bro. Yeah. I was crossing the road thinking, yo, I'm not checking because if a car hits me, it hits me. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it is what it is. Like, I was so deep in the trenches. Wow. Like, wow. and I did not realise because I just thought that's what it is. I was like, you wake up, you go to work, you come back and you're just surviving until you get the next thing. Oh. And it's only when I got out of that, I was like, bro, you were in the, you was not okay. <laughs> like, but yeah, he said that. I ruminated on it and I said, you know what? I hate this job and I am Scully. <laughs> like one thing is true, I am Scully. So I quit. Literally the very next day, the week before my twenty fourth birthday, I got a call from those same people from Four to the Floor and they're like, Yo, we're working on this exciting project with MTV and we want you to come and be the junior producer on it. Like the, you'll be the youngest producer there, but like we think you could do it if you got the chops and I'm like, Bruh Like I thought you lot were chatting shit five years ago when you're like, Yeah, one day, one day like you didn't think it's uh mm-hmm. yeah, whatever type thing, but it, it came through and like, yeah, I did that. Mm. Year on TV Raps was a resounding success. I did two series with them. And then I got a job at One Extra. Did that for a year. Won an Aria, which is like a radio BAFTA. Yeah. And then um, I left like when my contract was done. Because when you're in there, I love radio. I love what the BBC helped me do on my CV and my resume and all of this stuff. But when you're in there, you're either a producer or presenter. And I wanted to be a presenter. But I was good at producing. I knew how to produce. And it was like, if I stay here, like we were talking about earlier about people who stay here, this is the end goal yeah. and they're there yeah. forever. Like people are there, you get your pay rises, your promotions, and then you can be, you could theoretically be a producer at the BBC until you retire. I could have done that from age 25, 26 when I got a job until 76. And that just be it. And I was like, I don't want that. That's absolutely not what I want. Mm. So I got to go now before I get a pay rise and I'm used to the money. And then I'm 26, 27, getting X amount of money a, a year. And I just think, yeah, this is nice. Yeah. I'm too comfy. I'll have the safety net. So I'm I'm a bit tapped. So I'll, I will take a knife to the safety net and destroy it before <laughs> before it attracts me type thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I left and then uh, I kind of just figured it out. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a bad boy producer. Last 2020, I'm like, I'm going to be a bad boy presenter. Sorry, like I've done work with Copy Nighty. They're sending me to all these grounds around the country to like talk to football fans. And I was like, yeah. Because these stuff around the Euros, we're talking about doing something with Evra. Yeah. You poets old Red. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I had, to, I had to text poet and be like, oh, bro. They chased him out. It's you, awkward, you, man. It's awkward. Because that's actually my guy. Like, they're both my guys. So I was like, yo, hope you don't mind, but, you know, yeah. only half a bit. But no, nah, they were cool with it. And, um, but so that's what I thought I was going to do. And then, um, Eventually, I get the call from Vice. We're going to make a documentary, all of this stuff. I'm like, yo, it's all happening. Like, it's finally happening. Like, eight years later, I thought it would, but it's happening. And then COVID happens. Mm. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. And I remember I was on the way to the studio. I actually have it saved on my phone. I have a screenshot, yeah? I was on my way to the studio to film my first thing with Vice, like, as a f- like front-facing produ- uh, presenter, just me. And they texted me and said, yo, don't come to the studio. We're going into a nationwide lockdown. Like, there's just no point. And I was aware of COVID. I've been watching COVID from, like, the December times. Yeah. And I said, yo, this is shit kind of concerning me. <laughs> a bit, it, <laughs> and um, I had tickets to go to Barcelona with three of my friends. My friend Arj, my friend Ross, my friend Jude. We are going to go to Barcelona, go to Camp Nou, New Side, watch Messi, all of this stuff. And it was, like, two weeks away, maybe a week away. And they're like, have you packed for the holiday? Ready? 
it was like it was on the week of like i was like are you checking in all of this stuff passport all good and i just kept going back to gucci i said guys this ain't happening and I was like, what do you mean like, guys it's not happening like like i know you guys are trying to ignore the covid thing yeah mm-hmm. but it's not happening there's yeah. no way they're letting us leave this country and go to another country i was like, no, it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine we're gonna do it like it's now the friday or the thursday whatever day we go into lockdown yeah ross is like yo like come stay at yours before we go to Barcelona. I was like, what do you mean? We're not going to <laughs> Like, we, it's not been announced, but I was just saying, it's not happening. Everyone's like, stop being so negative. Like, it's happening. It's happening. Bro, I'm on the way to the studio having this argument by text. I was like, we're not going. And I get a text. <laughs> Don't come studio. National lockdown. I say, yo. Yeah. I'm an idiot. I just left a well-played <laughs> BBC job <laughs> to be a full-time presenter. And now we are in a global pandemic. Like, that's it. I'm done. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going back to Labrix, bro. Like, there's nothing. Like, what am I doing? Because I didn't finish uni. I bet on myself. The bet has not come in how I want it to come in right now. Yeah. We are screwed. That's what it was going on in my head. Obviously, I've got a friend, Henry, who I met from Represent, who is a radio presenter. Another friend, Jojo, who... Me and Jojo, it's just kind of like we crossed paths. And it was just like, yo, I see you. He's like, yo, I see you. Like, we did different things. He's a designer by trade first he's a graphic designer first like people know jojo for his designs i am like it took me ages to call myself creative and big up jojo because i think jojo is one of the first people who made me feel okay to say that yeah because like bro you're creative you're just creative with words and with storytelling and all these other things like that is a talent in itself the things you can do with words are not necessarily what i can do but maybe i'm better on photoshop like those are different mm. skills type yeah. thing. but um he was just a friend that i had who did creative stuff and he had his group of friends who were also trying to do creative friends like like Gadir, who's a little bit younger than us, she's like 23, but she'd been active. Like, me and Gadir always used to talk music. I was like, right, this is a girl who's mad younger than me, but she gets this music in the same way that I do. And like, Huda, who like was studying to be a lawyer, but was just like super on it and on point and all of this. So they're like, yo, we're gonna do, they've been throwing parties recess, and they're like, yo, we're gonna do a radio arm of it. In December, me and Jojo and Huda had this conversation. A few others of them, Gadir was there. We were like, yeah, we're going to do a radio arm of the parties just so we can broadcast the parties. But, like, um, you know, we don't really have as much radio experience. So, like, maybe you could help us in a few things. I was like, yeah, I'm planning to go freelance from BBC anyway. So, I hope you are. And we can start doing a few shows and da da all of this. Like, we had that conversation in December. COVID's happened. It's at March. I'm just texting Henry and Jojo, just as friends, just like, yo, like... Ain't got shit to do, bro. <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a freelance presenter. I cannot present anything. There's no sets open. Yeah. There's no the radio's not open. There's nothing for me to do. Like in this time, I was just cane and freelance just to the BBC. And then um, Jojo was like, "Yo, why don't we just like do radio? Like, let, let's just put on some radio. Let's just experiment with it, type thing." I remember I produced the first ten v ten. I didn't present it. I produced it. Henry and this other guy Seeps presented it. And I had just finished presenting Rampage or producing Rampage, sorry, on One Extra mm. on a Sunday. And I had my laptop and I was just in the building. And I think I finished at like five. The 10 v 10 went out at 10, at six, sorry. So I did my after show work and I put out my laptop in the BBC building. And like Jojo was streaming it from the server there, but I was monitoring the sound and doing the levels and all this. And we're just like, yeah, this will be fun. Like we'll just do this in lockdown for our friends. Mm. We're just going to make content for our friends and then when when furlough ends and all of this shit ends i'll probably have to get a real job which entails me being in an office and getting yeah 50k a year to do data entry or whatever it is like that is my future like you're too old for the presenting thing just give up bro <laughs> that's, that's how my head was going 
and then Seeps, big up Seeps. Um, he didn't end up staying the 10v10. He's a good presenter, but he it wasn't necessarily the correct energy needed for that show. I've obviously got a working relationship with Henry. Um, like that's and even beyond that, she's just one of my best friends. Like I love her. That's my little sister. Like so, we just tried it out. I was like, Joe, I think I could do this. You know, like I think obviously there's other stuff I want to present. I want to do more political stuff. I want to do more serious stuff. But give me a shot on this. Like I think me and Henry can do this show well. So we just did it. Bro, it just ended up snowballing. Like, from nowhere, like, one week, it was, like, Kojo Funds and Jay Huss were tweeting it, saying, yo, <laughs> like, they're doing a head-to-head here, and uh, you lot tap into this. Then I'm presenting it, like, from my mum's house, because I moved back home in COVID, and, like, popcorn shouting us out, and I'm like, I'm literally... So my mum... I got moved to Southampton to go to secondary school, because I was in trouble in secondary school. And then my mum moved out there. My mum and dad moved out there while I was in secondary school and they lived there now, yeah. So I'll come back to London because I'm like, I want to be in London, like, but they stayed there, they're like, oh, that's no, nice peace, like, yeah. like, pace of living is different, it's a little bit cheaper, all of this stuff. I've gone back there during COVID and I'm in this, I don't even have a bedroom at my mom's house because I don't live there because I, I live in London. <laughs> I'm in my little brother's room. <laughs> on his, he didn't even have a desk, he had a desk with a chest of doors and I had like um a chair and I got my laptop <laughs> on top of it. And Popcorn is on Instagram Live saying, yo, lock into NS10v10, my guy Scully on there right now. I'm thinking, yo, what is going on? Because like, one month ago, I thought, yo, I need to start looking for data and shit data. <laughs> And now, artists that I listen to and think are amazing are on Instagram Live shouting out some idea that we've had. Like, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing, right? Like, you uh, you just described your whole journey from 15 to now. And it's like, you said that you were, I, I mean, I think for any creative and when you're hit with, I don't know, just an act of God, something like a global pandemic, you start to have all that self-doubt and anxiety, right? But the reality is like you had done the work over that decade or so to get you to that point to where as a creative person and somebody who has a sense of hustle and somebody who is motivated by a sense of like a greater purpose and a joy to be resilient in a situation like that. And I feel like you had all the tools necessary and maybe sometimes it takes sort of a uh event outside of your control for you to have to activate that sort of thing yeah no definitely i think my whole life up to that point was cutting my teeth and picking up the skills like you're saying and then because because i grew up broke to be frank i'm used to just getting it going with nothing yeah mm. <laughs> like so the pandemic was just like yo let's get going we got three macbooks each we got a focus right little sound box we got mics let's go like let's just yeah. get it done diy yeah and then it went boom and now it's like, it's it's been fantastic because I'm now in a position where when I go and apply for work, people are like, we thought you could do literally nothing. Of course, we think if we give you a budget, yeah. <laughs> you might be able to make more stuff happen. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah, very thankful. Big up Jojo and David as well for bringing me up into their group and their gang high roller company and making something beautiful with no signal. Bro, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get into sort of NS10 V10. I'll okay. give you no more long answers. We're gonna put, <laughs> we just have to put Kanye last call underneath that. that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was, so I started a new job the week before lockdown. And I remember I didn't even think about that. I was like, and then they said, oh, we're just doing a week from home and then we'll, we'll probably be back in work. And obviously we didn't go back in for, 18 months <laughs> <laughs> but when we started working on stuff i was i was like i was a creative it's just one of those things it's like just come up with ideas for stuff and we were working on a project for gatorade at the time i remember 
and they wanted to do like a home workout thing and they were trying to, they were late on it. Everyone was like, Nike was doing it. But what you saw how anything community driven during that first bit of lockdown, because like I said, people had nothing to do. And, but anything that was, it had to be like from the people and had to be authentic and that kind of stuff thrived. So like Joe Wicks, just a guy. Yeah, used to, Joe used Wicks is, yeah, it's right. both funny, man. It's I, both funny. I used to see him firing outside Serbian Station when I used to work at Two We Travel and I was just scruff, just firing <laughs> around. <laughs> and then he was doing the thing where he just threw stuff into like a blender, blend it, and everyone loved it. And then now he's the nation's PE teacher. It's crazy because he's not even like, that. he's obviously fit because he works out a lot, yeah, but He's not that black. I do sometimes like do his hip workouts here, and he'll be pulling out his inhaler and like pausing. I'm like, <laughs> bro, you're doing... actually like, uh, you're obviously in shape, but you're genuinely an average guy. Bro, like, yeah. bro he's so smart. He's so smart. It's it's it's, up, it's, it's the Steph Curry thing where normal people think they can be him for getting Steph Curry six three and an actual freak <laughs> of nature. <laughs> like this, we are talking about Steph. Well, I'm not. I'm not. You know, Steph Curry's top one percent, but like Joe Wicks. He, he does not need that inhaler. But he's just trying to be a normal guy. I reckon he, he could go in and enter in like CrossFit Open and, and, and yeah, do good you're things. Right, actually, you're actually like, right. What's the point in him? You know, you're if, you're trying to, right. if you need to be on BBC, he's wearing these those like one pound plimsolls. The yeah. guy's, you know, he's breaded. He's fine. Yeah, because that's the other thing about his <clears> workouts, <throat> watching his garden evolve. Like, from him being in like this tiny little flat, to like now you can't see the back of his god. <laughs> like, uh, yo, he did it, my guy. Look at me. <laughs> but yeah, that Joe Wick smashed it. Like Jello, yeah, your whole thing popped off. Like Munya busted off. Anyone who was like just an authentic person, just people just seeing him on Twitter, mm-hmm. that those things kicked off. And I think Big Up Munya also represented alumni, by the way. Mm-hmm. My guy, that absolutely. And it's like just that's what people need at the time. And I think NS yeah. NSMV ten, like it just popped out of that that sort of need for community and that need for normality Pe- that barbershop thing you know mm-hmm. people just just sitting around on time obviously verses w- happened at the same time but you couldn't interact with that in the same way you could interact yeah. with ns 10 v 10 and i just it was i could not believe how big it got like like so quickly as well hundred thousand people listening to songs yeah, like days, that that yeah the whole sort of whiskey vibes thing just i i, man, I, I had to stop listening after that <laughs> I'm not involved. I was, I'll tell you exactly what I was doing that night. I was at my mum's. Um, <laughs> I was in really good shape actually before lockdown. Like I was working out religiously, like running to the park, yeah. Go to the park, hella pull ups, hella push ups, all of this shit, yeah. Mm. Hadn't been drinking for months. Like I've been teetotal. Lockdown came, I moved back in my mum. Within a week, I bought a litre of rum. <laughs> I haven't got back in shape since. Like, I'm like trying to fight it. I'm like, yo. That first few weeks of lockdown was ridiculous, though. Like, Whoa. I had a cider Wednesday every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> night. Like, every every night. day was Saturday. Yeah. yeah. When Wizkid vs. Vibes happened, yeah. That was my. I did Burner Boy Popcorn. And that was the lead up. Yeah. And like, Burner Boy Popcorn locked in. That's when we got like the 100,000. Mm. I said, yeah. I was off of Wizkid Vibes, Henry was presenting it, which meant that like I was helping Joe and some other people with the production. I was at my mum's, I was like, yo, you know what, fuck it. I'm gonna cane a weed brownie and get high <laughs> shit and I'm gonna drink some wine. I was so toasted when that whole show was going on that when people were tweeting so fast and all this stuff was going on, it was bigger than we thought, yeah. It, I felt like Neo in the Matrix. Like, you know when it's coming down the screen? Like, it was just coming down the screen. I was just there like, yo. <laughs> Yo, this is f- 
fucking intense, bro. Like, can everyone chill out? Like, this is so much, like, right. going on. Is it Lev's getting chased off the internet, bro? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and everyone's like messaging me and but shouting at me, like, anymore. why are you doing like, like you, when we come in, you're like, yo, why do you do this? I'm like, bro, I don't, I'm not involved. I'm literally <laughs> off an edible. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I'm left alone, yeah? I want to get underneath the duvet and have a nice night listening to two of the greatest musicians, yeah? <laughs> From from <laughs> black culture, Wizkid and Vibes plays music. Everyone leave me alone. And it's, I get it so much. Like I go places to people like, yo, why do vibes like that? Oh, you must be a big Wizkid FC fan. I'm like, you don't get it. First of all, the Wizkid FC fans were assaulting us as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, yo, respect the GOAT Wizkid, how dare you do that? Like, like, we were front page news in Nigeria for a sec and in Jamaica and both sides hated us. And it's like, yo, <laughs> how it was supposed uh, to be. Second of all, we don't control the votes. People yeah. thought we rigged it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you lot are voting. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, the go. track list. That's Lev's. That's not <laughs> that's why he. That's why he <laughs> can't be seen. He, he ain't allowed into the, the still black parts of Brixton anymore. Like, still black <laughs> No, do you think with Lev's? You know, yeah. With Le Lev's, yeah? Similar to when me and Henry did the Drake and Rihanna thing, yeah? Although I had a handicap, but... The different Lev didn't have a handicap, but he did this as we did a similar thing here, which is when you know when you really know an artist, yeah. Mm -hmm. You try and show how much you know the artist. So you say, Yo, I'm not going for the bangers. Deep cuts. I'm going for the deep cut. I yeah. need to show you that I'm the expert. <laughs> oh, you don't know about this one. You get it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See that is like you don't know about this tune. I'm gonna show you tune. Yeah. And like, nah, and it's every time it's not that type of show. We're gonna do like hits. <laughs> Play the baitest song, yeah. yeah, and it will win. And it's like, so I feel for Lev's because he's actually a really good DJ and a really big vibes fan. But he should have just come with the the top list. He should have just gone on Vibes, Spotify, and picked the biggest. <laughs> vibes I'm yeah, not gonna lie, that bit vibes. where he just went, I'm not even having fun anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt. That's actually how I felt. Cause you know that the 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 saying, oh, don't don't coach my high, don't encroach my high, don't don't harsh my high. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Imagine the entire planet. <laughs> Literally, the whole internet is harshing your high. Like, yeah, oh, man. That, that was, really yeah, that yeah, should have been God. such a a big moment for my guy. And I, I, I remember just, I was like, I am in the eye of a storm. And like <laughs> you say, like it's just going down so quickly mm -hmm. on the thing. And Mo Gilligan, I don't know, he must have had a few people tweeting for him because he was just like, he was mm -hmm. just every other tweet was him. No, <laughs> people were just that quick and that intense, bro. It was unbelievable. Like, yeah. uh, when we did the Drake and Rihanna one, so I lost the first three or four rounds. And then I made a comeback in the 4-4. And then I think, or maybe, yeah, it was like four or something like that. But I ended up losing by one song. Yeah, mm. by one song. And at first of all, it pissed me off here yeah, because I asked the man, I was like, yo, should I play? Because I've been playing Jeep Cuts and then I switched and I played some hits. And then I was like, yo, should I play Fire and Desire or Deep Cut? Or should I go for Hold On My Girl Home, Cheap Easy Hit? Everyone was like, yo, play Hold On My Girl Home, Easy Hit. And then I didn't play it, I found Desire, and then everyone was screaming, why do you play Final Desire? <laughs> fucking idiot. I was number three trending in the world. Literally in the world. Yeah? In the entire Twitterverse, yeah? I was the third biggest trending topic, yeah? The man that were in my group chat saying, you fucking idiot, why do you play Final Desire? I was like, are you sick? Are you all sick? You all told me to play this song. Like, people were sending me death threats for four months. <laughs> They're like, you must fucking hate Drake. Then you stand for yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, bro, like, it's oh not that God. serious, guys. It's a game show, like, bro. Oh, man. Internet, people get brave on the internet when they can't see your this face. Is it. I think uh, there's people that have been brave on the internet, me, and it's like, do you realize I'm six foot five and 19 stone <laughs> yeah. two years ago? 
like <laughs> two years ago. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> but it's lockdown and you can't go anywhere. <laughs> like if this is if this is the way you want it to happen, this it's is the where death it can of happen. getting banged in the face. I've yeah. said this a thousand times. That's what it is. Oh, I'm really. Actually, I can't say that. Don't one. say that. No, <laughs> no, let's, yeah, I'll say that off camera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but basically, basically, if you say stuff online, I'm very outside. So at some stage, you're going to see me. Like, Catch me. Yeah. So someone get Jada kissing. I'm, and I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, is people have a nerve of cussing stuff I do as a presenter and knowing that I'm affiliated through No Signal with the recess guys yeah. and then turning up to recess parties. That's not good forward thinking. <laughs> like, it's just not, just use your head, didn't it? Yeah. Like, I'm obviously going to be there. Like, and that's, that's what they had to be said there. It, but I think the problem is as well, people think it's like checking someone means you're on badness. No, I mean, it's just basic level of decency. Like you do not talk to people like that. Yeah. Like tweeting, even like atting someone directly that's like you've seen me in the street and you're shouting something at me. Like you can, you can. Talk you want to me to see this? Yeah. But I'm just going about my business. <laughs> yeah. So I if think I people... didn't cross the road to talk to you. You brought it on yourself. Yeah, but I think that people got really bold in like during the lockdowns and stuff because it was two years where yeah. they were like, we don't have to you, see people out on these streets yeah. for two years. There's, there's someone who seems more at the yeah. fit rewards, and I'm gonna go. Oh, don't do it, man! Don't oh, do it. There's only one loser in this situation, especially when you're like, when I see you at the theater awards, it's on site. Like no. Hamilton, the rap battle scene. That's how it's gonna go now. But as long as you don't instigate any violence, no, not at all. But if I like violence, it's, it's you. You said something. I'm here. Say it to my face. Yeah, and, like, and back it. Yeah, because yeah. people say stuff online because they have, and there's a huge problem with like to sound like. To, I say it to my little brothers all the time. My youngest brother's twelve. The next one's fourteen. One's nineteen. I say, yo. Like in the real world, there's real consequences. Mm -hmm. You can say what you like. You can say what you like online. Yeah. But if remember that if you'd said that to that person in real life, you don't know how they would have acted. Yeah. Mm. So maybe you think you can get away with it online, but eventually you're going to have to see people. Mm. Like, so I'm in favor of people pulling up all the time. I've said it before. I think there is a place, I believe it's in Peru, yeah, where every Friday of New Year's, like of the New Year, they link up and every grudge, every argument, everything that people have had, they have a punch up. It's like the Peruvian purge. Oh, I need to go, because all yeah, men literally. are like 5'2 as well. I need to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but literally they punch each other up. Like they punch each other up and they get over whatever they're beefing. Yeah. Yeah? And I'm just saying, if people have such a problem, I would say, yeah, like, let's all link up Hyde Park three times a year. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh let's link up, let's link up. Because me, I'm I'm very cheeky. I know I'm cheeky, but I also know I'll stand on anything I say. Yeah. Like I'll stand on anything I say. Anyone can pull up on me anywhere. I've I've been on radio. Rappers have actually pulled up to my radio station, and I've stood in it. And I've been like, yeah, I said that. Like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> like, Showing up like four twenty. <laughs> no, it's hilarious though because your show will literally be like twelve to two, and they'll pull up at at four twenty. <laughs> and it's like, bro, you're still mad about that. Like the show was four hours ago. Like you're actually still angry. Like what the hell? Like that has genuinely happened to me in life. But it's like like I said, I'm happy to stand on what I say. I need people to be able to stand on what they say. Don't mm. say things online that you would be scared to say to that person in real life. No. Yeah. Well that kind of brings me on to the next one and you know I think we'll probably keep this quite quick quite quick. Like black music, black culture and so and gatekeeping the culture. There is not a group and there is not like, there is not any, no other types of music could do this. I don't know why this is thing where people now are just 
taken, no other genre of music I, I follow is taken to Twitter spaces twice a week, three times a week to just talk shit <laughs> about who's allowed to make something, how they're allowed to make it. Like grime in particular right now. Right, exactly. And like, it makes no sense to me because as a genre, it seems to me the only genre that has not managed to flourish in the digital age because everything's rooted to a perception of how things should be done. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. That's it. There's actually no more to say on this conversation. <laughs> that is the problem with grime. Everybody in grime, besides like, I always say there's probably about nine great grime MCs left, yeah? Mm. And five of them have been rapping since like 2010. Yeah. Like, there's no really great new ones. In fact, I'd say all the great grime MCs, like I like XP, Manga, Blay, Jamie, like all the ones who yeah. are good now yeah. have been doing it for ages. Zoo, like they've been doing it for ages. So it's like, the issue is like you're saying, and the reason why people who are great grammarcies like Stormzy or AJ Tracy leave is because the whole genre is just completely stuck in this. This has to be like this. And if you don't do this, it's not real gram. Whereas look at rap in America, yeah, look at hip hop. Last night I listened to a little easy track. It's on a Jersey club beat. Like it sounds like it, He's quoting Lil Durk's drill track, this ain't what you want, mm. the Jersey Club beat that could be played like literally when people vogue like in ballroom. Yeah. Like it's it's such an amalgamation of all these different references, yeah. Mm. Mm. And nobody's gonna turn around to Lil Uzi and be like, That's not real rap. Yeah. But with Grime, you can do something a little bit experimental and be like, Oh, that's not real grime. Yeah. Oh, shut up, man. Is it good music? Like, do you like it? Can you listen to it? Yeah. If yes, it's fine. Like yeah. and it's like I love Grime, I grew up on Grime, and like I feel like Grime MCs think I have an aversion to Grime now, and I don't. Some of my best friends are Grime MCs. <laughs> 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 like, genuinely though, they are. <laughs> they actually are though. And it's like, like, I just want them to be more open-minded to what Grime is. Yeah. I agree. And get off space as well. Bro, are these, I'm like, are you guys not exhausted? I'm like going, I have a break from work. And I'm like, it's 3.20 in the afternoon. Bruv. <laughs> There is, some of them are waking up at nine, smoking a joint and talking on Twitter spaces all day. And I'm just thinking, I don't want to be harsh, but do you have a job? Because I know, I work in music, here. I know you're not making that much money from the music you release. I'll Let's name cool. names. I'm not naming no names. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not naming no names. <laughs> be outside cool of 420. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cruel thing to do, isn't it? But I'm just saying, there's a lot of MCs on spaces, yeah? And it's like, because even if, yeah, even if, let's hypothetically say you were a trapper, yeah? Let's just say you were that, and an MC, yeah? You still can't be on space all day because mm. you have to places to go. <laughs> you have places <laughs> to be. People got to know where you are. Yeah. You have shots to link. Like, there's all this stuff going on there. <laughs> like, so I don't understand, like, what? where is your money coming yeah. from? Like, how do you live? Like, mm. like uh, I don't know, it confuses me. Like, just either make great music, or work really hard on your job. That's, that's yeah. what it is, like one or the other. Like mm. the spaces thing, I think spaces is really useful when it's used in a great time. Like, let's say we had a subject we wanted to speak about. We're going to say, yo, everyone get on Twitter. We're going to meet at 8 p.m. I'm going to speak for two hours on this subject and have discourse. And then mm. at 10 p.m., we're all going to get off and go and live the rest of our lives. Mm. Mm. Like that is a useful <laughs> way to use an open chat forum. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the problem with some grime artists is that they're too busy investing <coughs> in other people's dreams. So, because one of the arguments I hear is that, you know, well, the white boys are coming in and they're making it. Well, that was happening in the 60s. It didn't stop Sam Cooke from making his music. It was mm. happening in the 80s. It didn't stop Michael Jackson and Prince from making their music. Mm. It's happened in rap. It hasn't stopped Kendrick and, 
you know, all those other artists making their music. And it's like, but they're taking what should be mine. We'll go and make some more new stuff. Yeah. And and I think that actually the the, the thing, because we spent so long talking about dreams, it's like the second you start thinking that something is owed to you, you're in serious problems mm-hmm. because it's like, you're never, you're never going to find peace. You're never going to find happiness. If you think it's owed for you as well, you won't put in the work to earn it. Mm. Like you won't go and grab it because you think, oh, it's going to come. It's owed to me. Like entitlement is one of the worst mm. things you can hold i think yeah as a mm-hmm. person no matter where you're from or what you do you cannot be entitled because once you're entitled it's like you lose your grasp of it it's like entitlement is like trying to grab two fistfuls of water and mm. hold it really tight and mm. put it in a cup like you're not gonna make it yeah. like yeah. let just let go let mm. go and let it flow mm. and it's the them making sure the genre has to be so pure like that is why it's, it's struggling so much if you how can you keep someone to this this standard which isn't written down anywhere isn't defined anywhere how is anyone new ever gonna put any vibrancy in it like we all listen to all different types of music when like someone like fred again for instance mm. he can go and make any kind of music he wants he's piano based it's the same with james blake when he came through he can go make mm-hmm. anything he wants he can work with any artist he wants he, he'll go and do gang with Heady, and he can blow like his blow was literally a year yeah and that guy has gone he's made making music with like beyonce mm-hmm. because he's he's free to do that mm-hmm. you, no one who's come in from a grime background would be allowed to do that because they would like unless they leave and turn their back on grime exactly like aj tracy or storm mm. and then they, they get questioned because it's like oh how can you be the king of grime because you just like bro like it's like <coughs> grime MCs, yeah, suffer from the same, the same thing that we suffer from as black people. Where it's like everyone thinks everything has to be a monolith. Like you're not mm. really black if you don't do this, or you're not really black if you do do this. You're not really a grime MC if you do do this. If you sing on a hook, you're not really grime. If you go and do a song with Dua Lipa, you're not really grime. Yeah. Mm. If you put mayonnaise on, <laughs> well, hold on. <laughs> the funny thing about that is, is like you know, one of the recognised originators of grime was Wiley. Wiley was literally on tracks with Emily Sunday in like two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wiley was doing tracks with Ed Sheeran in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. You know, Rich Free Two's been on tracks with that, and so it's like, so what's this? It, 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 it's like this idea of when somebody tells you that they long for the good old days, pin them down when the good old days were because they, they never existed. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that there was a time where grime was just pure. It's like, well, no, because technically grime came out of garage, garage came out of house, house came out of acid house, and you can go back and back and mm-hmm. back. So it's never, it's always just remixes on other people's stuff. Um, but then the other thing is, is like, how the problem, the problem with a, a form that that's literally called grime, which is about, about being authentic, is the second you make two or three hits, you can't really be a grime artist and be authentic if that's what they want. You can't talk about, I think that's know, I'm, the living, issue. I'm living in the ends. Yeah, it's half a chair now, brother, isn't it? I think, I think that's the issue. I think the problem was so many big grime MCs made pop attempts that frankly weren't good. Like we all forget yeah. Skepta. I love Skepta, he's one of my favorite artists ever. Skepta's pop era, like in the late noughties to 2012, was really bad. Yeah. Like, we actually just all ignore it. <laughs> I'm actually an apologist for it. I enjoy it. I got more flavors than Walker. I love that tune with the girl from EastEnders. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I was Skepta apologist. Like, personally, I think some of them tunes were good, innit? But like, 
I also know that as somebody who will DJ out, that I can't play those tunes because yeah. the room will turn around and look at me and be like, what is he doing? Type thing. You're saying that Oopsie Same Daisy ain't in your bag. Yeah, <laughs> Chip is not, I'm not playing Oopsie Daisy. And or Chip champion. is a great MC. Champion might be though. Champion is a great tune regardless. Mm. Like, But anyway, um, I think the problem is people try and like, because some people did it and didn't necessarily quote, quote do well, even if the song was a hit, even Wiley with like the heat waves and all of this, their thing is like, well, look what happened when they did this and then they came back to Grimes. Like, actually, you can be an artist and make that and make this. Like, yeah. You can do you don't have to both of them. Yeah. And they can all be good. Like I think part of the issue is, and this comes back to the conversation we were having yesterday about the Arctic Monkeys, right? I love their new album, but there's so many fans that are like, they stopped being good at this point and everything mm. that came after that point is no longer good music. I think the issue with grime is there's so many of us that have grime as a huge part of their identity, a specific part of their life. So you feel really, really precious about it. It's like, this is what grime is. And this was so important to me when I was 13, when mm -hmm. I was 12, when I was, mm -hmm. so anything that comes that's outside of that, that's not grime, that's not right. And it needs to stay pure to this. And it's like that with, with rock and roll, like rip pop and those kind of things. It's like, you come out, uh, but that's, you should be doing this. The drums need to be hard. Pe and people do have everything. That's why hipsters yeah. exist because hipsters are just people who liked the artist at a certain point. Yeah. yeah. And they're no longer like, and Artemis is a great example because, because I can use that and I'm fallible in this example. I'm not a massive fan of Arctic Monkeys anymore, but when they drop music that is good, music like mm. Bella. my thing is the, the real problem that everything everyone is struggling with yeah is relatability yeah so i liked Arc monkeys when they came out yeah because i'm a working class kid yeah, yeah. and i've seen i've seen england in it like and really and truly class is a huge divide obviously race is the biggest divide but the, they give us race because of class yeah like, yeah and if you listen to the early Arctic monkeys albums they're rap. They're not rapping. They're singing. But sometimes songs he's basically yeah. rapping, yeah, about stuff that I relate to. Reebok right workouts, man. yeah, right vans, yeah, running from right vans. Mm. Reebok workouts, underage drinking, yeah, <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying to get, to get into the, the club. Yeah. Like, you get it? Like he's rapping Pumped about stuff by that the bouncer, yeah, yeah, like all working class people relate to. So I liked Arctic Monkeys because I was like, this is this music that's talking about this experience that I relate to, mm. and. I wasn't a huge fan of when they did the whole like we're American you know, it's now and we got quick like the rockabilly like, oh. sort of yeah because it's just like bro you're from Sheffield bro <laughs> <laughs> you literally wanted to be a rapper and then you decided you couldn't rap so you got instruments for Christmas and you made a band you're not you're not this guy from Tennessee like mm. I don't want to that's not what I want from you mm. and that's okay because if you make a great tune like Arabella I'm gonna listen literally I've been planning to listen to the album when I go home and clean later that I'm sure there'll be songs on it that I like but people struggle with seeing artists as someone relatable, somebody who's now no longer relatable. Mm. I think that's the thing with Grime, the the vicinity scares them. Like that really scares them. Yeah. <laughs> what is the cost of clicks and clout? Oh. <laughs> so I mean we, we like a good essay title. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we always I mean we're reluctant to talk about about yay because it just because that's that's what he wants and you know my life's been a lot more peaceful and since I since I muted him but I think there's <laughs> you, a, can, you can unfollow you can really that exactly yeah it's a, a, I no I muted the word oh, oh, so. oh I've done the exact oh, same thing yeah. him, but I just mute the word because I, I thought you still followed him but just muted him. <laughs> <laughs> it's still there nah, he needs to know that I'm here <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember how it slipped through but it's this is less about him and more about like I guess this practice of knowing 
someone's gonna say some foul shit and counting the cost that you know what i can say sorry later but i get the you get the clicks obviously yeah you went on um drink champs mm -hmm. for the third time i you saw you you waited one which is a two-parter and then this is so this is the i've never time. watched any of them yeah you, you came out and said that yeah i divorced kanye a long time ago exactly mm. i saw this coming with yeezus which some people like and yeah them know. i'm not a big Yeezus fan because i'm a big music fan in it so i'm just like everyone's like yo this has never been done before and i was like yeah it's mm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's actually a lot. Like, yeah like people have made like rap music that straddles metal and techno and all yeah. like it exists yeah. Like. yeah so this is not my first experience with it which is why it's not groundbreaking to me so i don't care and I don't think I think there are songs on there that are amazing, like Hold My Liquor with Chief Keef. I'm a big Chief Keef fan. And like um uh Bounty's the obvious one, but that's him doing all Kanye. But like basically I was just like, this is Emperor's new clothes right now. Like Kanye can give us anything musically and everyone's gonna say it's ten out of ten. It doesn't matter what he mm. gives us at this stage. Mm. So I'm walking away now because I'm yeah. this ain't for me type thing. And I think with this drink champs thing, I think it's hard because Nori is actually his friend, but I don't think Nori's platform is the right platform. So he's gone there because he's comfortable with him. But it's like, if, if for example, I did want to come here and speak about quantum physics, this might not be the platform for me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> because you guys are not quantum physicists. You might not actually care about that. So it's like, why am I here to get it? Like, we Kanye had, was here to say weird things. Yeah, we had that um, last pod with Musa, he said a bunch of times, he was just telling these stories, like, I've actually never actually said this on the podcast. The guy's on two podcasts. So if he <laughs> wanted to say something, he's, you know, he's got, he's got the Ample, biggest yeah. platforms. He's like, I felt this is the right space to share this particular aspect of my identity. The drink champs, when you're having a shot every 10 Bro, minutes. They're Kane yeah. in 1942 and smoking Cali flavors. Yeah. I think- Recipe what? for disaster. Yeah. What? Mm. Um, they could be doing other drugs as well. Like, yeah. I'm just saying. Mm. I'm just saying the ones that I can see on screen. Yeah. Likely, yeah. Likely. Is that a recipe for disaster? Is it a recipe for clicks? Exactly. <laughs> but this is it. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. So I saw something last night that, re it does, you know, when something makes you irrationally mad, and I knew I, I knew I was madder than I should be, and it was the front page of the Guardian website, and it said um, the, the the headline was Johnson gaining ground on Sunak. Why is that? Why are you framing it like that? Why are you framing it like it's some sort of, because they know that, it, and they had a big picture of Boris Johnson, it's gonna drive clicks. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, and they're not saying anything negative, they're kind of making it seem like rat race. And that's exactly how I felt about that drink champs thing, because never forget that Nori kind of came on Twitter before the backlash and was like, ha, ah, my show did better than all y'all shows. Yeah, yeah better than and, the and, NFL. Yeah, better than And the NFL. thing is, it's like, they factor in the apology tour, because who's the last guest they just had on? Pharrell. So it's like there's no there's no reflection. I I so I was never married to to Kanye. I mm. didn't I didn't I didn't like his first album because I was a, I, well I tell you what it Hold was. Hold on there, buddy. Wait, I was. Yeah, I, <laughs> you've never in all the years that we've been doing this, you've never said that. Well, <laughs> no, no. I'll tell you why. I was I was a real raucous records guy. Like so, I was listening to Tyler Quali, yeah, 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 yeah. all of those. So you were and Kanye. So you were, <laughs> <laughs> No, I can actually see no, 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 no. So as a, produ as a producer, I liked some of the production, but I didn't like his album. The reason I didn't like his album is people were like, oh, this is groundbreaking. He's saying and doing different things. I'm like, yeah, first of all, no, nah, yeah. he sounds like 30 guys that I know that are that are all black and all saying the same things yeah. and have all got different kinds of fashions. Mm. But then also it's like, you know, he's I just find it really challenging to have a track like Jesus Walks in the same album as New Workout Plan. 
It's like, I just, like, that maybe that's just me and my own stuff. But don't I, we always say that you don't have to be one way? You of course you don't, thing. but don't don't tell me that this guy's doing something that's never been done when he, he's got his hoe track on there. Like that, that was- So is your issue with the album or your issue with the-, the I just didn't, I just, I just didn't think it slapped like that. I that, just, that's that's fine. I that's never fine. Thought, I've, but all of his projects. I mean, it's wrong. I've but never, that's fine. But it's completely subjective. So no, but that is an objectively bad, bad right opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have right this, some opinions are objectively bad. The point is, so I was never married to him. So yeah. I've always looked at it kind of detached, and I've always seen a streak of misogyny that comes through it because oh, oh yeah. uh, like uh. and and. <laughs> Like so, for me, I go then. How are we enabling it? And it's I don't know if you saw Trevor Noah because somebody in the audience asked him if you know what he, you know if he was beef, and he's like, well, beef has to go both ways for it to be a beef. He said, I'm, I'm not beefing him. I just don't think that a person that goes on and talks about their mental health and looks like they're having an episode is somebody that should necessarily be platformed in that state. Mm-hmm. On and I was like, I agree with that. Except I've I've read a few studies. There's not a single study that says that mental health. Uh, makes you say racist things uh, and it doesn't make you anti-Semitic. And we've talked about this in a different context where yeah. we've talked about having arguments with white people who then like would drop an M-bomb. And it's like, mm-hmm. doesn't matter that, like there's no argument I'm gonna have with somebody that's gonna make mm-hmm. me drop mm-hmm. some some racist stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the issue is, Kanye is gonna be Kanye, but there is something brutally wrong with the economy of podcast, of 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 the of of the world that we're kind of living in, if you go, do you know what? Well, let's get Kanye on. We'll let him say whatever. We'll have let him have a hot mic. We do two weeks of apology tours. Look, I'll take I'll take the bullet. I'll kind of say that I'm leaving the pod for reflection. I'll ask you through the roof. Listen, yeah, to yeah, and then because yeah. then I can go on and do the you know why I left the the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was the one that made that decision. But actually, there's something really sick about it, and it's the same thing that I think is happening with Boris Johnson in this country. People forget that he made rules that led to people dying from COVID, that led to people dying from being cooped up, and it was hard. Mm-hmm. And he they were partying till they vomited on the walls, and it's like, well, the the next person was bad. Doesn't matter. Like, does it doesn't matter? You can't be like, well, do you know what? Mussolini was no Hitler. <laughs> I, I, yeah, and I saw people who should know better saying, "I'm just saying, the economy didn't crash under Boris." Oh, really? Are we gonna we're gonna use the trains running on it's time? It's so funny, yeah, because <laughs> it's like you know them games at like Brighton Arcade, yeah, where you put the coins in, yeah, and it pushes it to the edge, pushes it to the edge, pushes it to the end, yeah, and the whole point is to get the coins to push over the edge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boris had twenty games on the twenty games in the arcade and pushed all the coins right to the edge, and all Liz did was come in and put in the last two people. Yeah. Mm. Like, so yeah, cool. And it crashed under him because he left two weeks ago. Like maybe yeah. if he stayed, <laughs> maybe if he stayed. He was still prime minister two months ago. Yeah, he like maybe if he stayed, it probably would have crashed. <laughs> like it 100%. was. It, I mean, I'm not an economics expert, but economics experts are saying, "Yo, the economy is probably going to crash." It, that Liz obviously didn't make it any better, but it was going to do that. Yeah. And it's because of these policies of austerity, like you're saying, that have been in our country for years. So it's like, but what does the Conservative Party and Kanye have in common? They recognise that if you do up white supremacy, it's going to make you money. It doesn't, who cares? If, Lord Rochester in the 16th century said, I they don't got so be, much in common, but I don't want to be yeah, reviled. So I, don't, I don't care about being reviled. I just want to make money. <laughs> but also, it's not what they have in common, it's the way that they're being portrayed by journalists and marionetted and and the media and i think like 
to the question of how do you do that sort of cost benefit analysis? Uh, like, let's say I'm a journalist and I'm like, okay, is it worth it to have this really problematic person on who maybe I don't agree with just to get those clicks up? And it really just comes down to what are your values as a journalist or as a media outlet? Because if you're being led by a core value of having integrity and like we talked about that objective truth and so on and so forth, the decision is already made. You just don't have, you either don't have that conversation or that interview go live or you have the skills as a journalist and as somebody who interviews someone to provide contact context to push back to ask the right questions to frame it in a in a way that has integrity and that's just not yeah. what was done and it's not what is done with Kanye did you read the team Vogue article by by uh, versus Sharma mm -mm. who was like just stop platforming him and, and the quote that stuck out for me was every post about one of his fits of a day, every tweet about his latest collaboration, which will eventually fall apart, every meeting you take or show you cover, it's all enabling complicit behavior. We need to make a collective concerted effort to stop mm -hmm. and make it last for more than one season. And it's like, that's really good. But what if your whole job is about generating revenue? How do we break? How do we fix this model? Well, you said you're not an economist, yeah. Scully, but if you were an economist, how do, how do we fix this model? I think so. Okay, cool. First, to look at Nori and Drink Champs, what it is, is for me, in my eyes, I don't think Nori was malicious or even planned to go on the apology tour, like you're saying. I think Nori just has a platform and he knows Kanye's comfortable with him and he's going to talk. And I think, yeah, he did think about the clicks and he's happy with them. But I also don't think that, like, let's be honest, not everybody has the range. Like, you're on Nori's show, yeah. you take shots and smoke weed. That's literally why you're there. <laughs> like, yeah. He actually doesn't know what wild shit anyone's going to say. People go on there and say wild shit Bro. all the time. When yeah. he was, when he went on the Breakfast Club and he went on um, Ebro in the morning, he like he was saying, oh, he got control. I thought I can, could control it. I'm like, I failed as a journalist. I'm like, bro, you are Nori. You are not yeah, a not journalist. journalist. Mm. You're a rapper who has cool stories and talks to other rappers mm. who tell yeah. us their cool stories. Your platform is about anecdotes. Like, and my issue with Nori is Nori should have the the full thinking to be like, actually, I'm not a journalist and I'm not ready to push back on this. Yeah. So you either, like you said, don't put it out whatsoever. Or when Kanye calls you, you say, Mm, this platform might not be right, but maybe if you went on a, I don't know, go and sit to Trevenar and mm. you two have a conversation. Like, pushing people in the right direction, some things are not for you. Like, it's all right to say no to some opportunities. Like, well, yeah. And this, yeah, the other side it was, he went on the shop and they made a big thing about, oh, he came on the shop, he got in an argument with Jeezy and then Spring Hill and Mavcart were like, yeah, we, we decided we couldn't, you know, we couldn't air the episode. Like, how do you well. how do you not yeah. know this who this man is? Because that came after the tweet, didn't it? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's disingenuous. Like, it was very. If, if you're not gonna put it up, that just don't put it up. You don't need to come up with a statement or anything. Like you, yeah. you invited him on there in the first place. You wanted to show how much integrity you have, which in turn mm -hmm. and takes exactly. away the integrity that you have. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> ah, corporate social responsibility. That's and, where, what it was. and where it really is frustrating is like he he did the non-apology, didn't he? He's like, I'm not. I'm I'm sorry if you feel, and, and that's a real trigger for me. Mm. But he refuses to take accountability. And whatever the, the mental state of that person, if the ecosystem around him continues to engage with him, mm. you make it so that he doesn't have to take any accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Accountability is normally something bad has happened and I have lost something. And now I need to go away and reflect so that I can get something back. Yeah. But if it's just like, you know, and, and the problem is, is obviously he doesn't, he'll never need to do accountability because he is the new darling for the far right. 
Um, and I think the thing that really, really bothers me about that phenomenon too is that when we use people struggling with mental health issues as the reason for why they cannot take accountability because they're not mutually exclusive. I, yeah. I, we, we all have talked about on this podcast the various mental health issues we have dealt with and it doesn't mean that we, it gives us a pass to be an asshole mm -hmm. or to have yeah. really troublesome, problematic uh, ideologies. Yeah. I can't go out onto the street, yeah, and racially abuse a uh, South Asian person, and then when they say, why do you do that? I'm like, yeah, I have anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they'll just be like, what the hell? Like, are you all right? Like, yeah. what? Oh, I'm just throwing stuff at children, and they're like, what's going on? Oh, I've got ADHD. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's that? Like, I don't get how we've ended up in this space where yeah. it's a get out of jail free card for him. And the funny thing is even is about like the far right thing that he's trying to engage with, with Candace Owens and buying parlor and all of this. I don't even think the far right like him or take him in like that. Like, Bruh. I think they look at it as like, yo, look at this guy who's like making a mess. They don't call him a guy. And like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one useful like, prick. Yeah, he's making a mess over there, Bruh. and he's um like he's, make it fun for us, and we get. Yeah. He lets them reach people that they couldn't reach before, right? Yeah. Like he, all these people, like people are taking these. He says something and wild or anti-Semitic, and people are like, ah, actually don't fuck with this. And then you look at the comments, people are like, well, this is exactly what he said was going to happen. I'm like, oh, yeah. give it a rest. But but they're the same kind of people that are, that are still making defenses for R. Kelly. They're still making defenses mm -hmm. for Bill Cosby, mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, this wouldn't happen if da da da. And it's like, but he was going to buy NBC. <laughs> but on that on that and this is you know we'll probably just finish on this is the candace owens link and this is this is a funny story what the grift yeah so candace owens and kanye tie kanye he's been, they've been hanging out kanye does his white lives matter she's different and any you know he, they think it's a great idea this is a massive backlash kanye gets in front of cameras starts saying all this wild anti-semiticness loses his, his social accounts. She's obviously putting a battery in him because on her shows, she's defending it, defending it, defending it, defending it. He gets banned from all the platforms. Kanye's like, you know what? I'm buying my own social media platform. Passe tries to buy this Parler thing, which is failing financially. Who owns Parler? Her husband. Kanye's <laughs> own husband. Like, didn't Trump try to buy it at one stage? Yeah. He's, he's on Rumble or something, but I was like this, I was like, I he's, he cannot see that he's being, how how he's being manipulated. This is the wildest and, and, thing. And it's it's not a game though, is it? Because it's and but it is to Candace Owens. Because how did Candace Owens try to break through originally? Anybody know? Candace Owens tried to break through originally by talking about her experiences of being of being racially abused, wow. and then when that didn't cut through on social media, she did the she did the one eighty, mm -hmm. and it's like wow. it's all. And I I get that kind of. You know, you're trying to be make your make your money, but yeah, th there's there, there's people that die at the end of, at the end of that, mm -hmm. and you're still disposable because oh, Stacey yeah. Dash she did the opposite thing. Stacey Dash was a yeah, you yeah. know a mouthpiece mm -hmm. for um, the conservatives, 
And then when she was done, she's like, oh, but remember, I am black <laughs> and we won't have her back. Now she's crying over DMX two years too late. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I exactly. would say you exactly. can be anything you want to be in this life, but don't be a snitch or a coon. <laughs> That's my last gem for you. We're going to wrap this up now. Scully. I was not expecting the gems. There no. were like there were some gems I was expecting. That was mad. But From up top, it. yeah. A phenomenal range. Thank you, thank you. I'm here all the time. We're in South London. Tell me when you're going to part two. Tell me when you're going to do part two. We'll get you through for part two. Neef wants this could be my drink champs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we, we we drank the first ever episode. Yeah. Never again. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't oh, come on. That was me. Neef, Neef wants a hat trick bowl. We'll definitely get you Nels, part Nels three, Oh, Neef, uh, Neef's been on twice. Yeah, yeah, he came on twice. Oh, yeah. I definitely got to get a hat trick if Neef did a hat trick. Yeah, right. <laughs> no <laughs> way. <laughs> Telling well, me we'll, I'm only worth one appearance. No. Neef gets three. What is we'll that? Get you on, we'll get you on the second time and then we'll give you both a hat trick ball on the same day. On the same one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, me and Neef there. That's exactly. A lot of fun. Foden Haaland. Yeah. <laughs> I like um, it. I, oh, it's going to bring the energy down, but I have to do it. Um, I really just want to um, give condolences to the family of uh, Joe Melville. Um, Joe was a brilliant actress who was performing in Nine Night, um, the show that was being directed by um, Amanda Huxtable, who, who was taken ill and uh, died. And I really wanted to, I wanted to do it at the front end, but I really wanted to dedicate this uh, episode to her and the family and all the people involved in the production. Um, for Jamaican people, we know what Nine Night is. I'm not going to explain. Those that understand don't need it to be explained. And the reviews were just were pristine. And it's just an awful thing to to happen. Um, but yeah, um, we 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 send our love and our condolences. And um, you know, I work in theatre, and anything that I can do to help anybody in that's been involved um, with with Joe or or with the show, just hit me up. Hmm. Here we go. Listen, pal. Nine Night is an amazing play. We out.